Welcome to a new episode of Wizards After Dark. Once again, I guess you're just a regular at this point. Like, you're coming for Ben Standing as my <laughs> most regular regular. On the Skype line, we're, we're talking a few different things today. I got Dave Dufour again. Yeah, this is sort of like, um, you know, when we still had the Pacers podcast, the Fieldhouse Files, Scott Agnes. Shout out to Scott Agnes. Uh, I would pop on once or twice a month. And now, now I'm doing Wizards After Dark. There you go. You could just add it to the resume at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's on there. Uh, uh, so a few things to discuss today where, you know, the, we got lottery week, big time lottery week. Uh, we are going to talk Wizards and Lottery and we're going to kind of grade some of the young guys' performances from the bubble. I, I didn't feel like it was worthwhile to do a post-game podcast after that Boston game, even though they actually won a basketball, the Wizards won a basketball <laughs> game in the bubble. Even though they actually won that game, I just I didn't feel like it was. What are we going to do? Wrap up a ninety-six to ninety game to end a season in which they weren't making the playoffs. I thought this would be a more appropriate way to wrap things up before we move into off-season stuff. Uh, going to be doing at least one episode a week now that the Wizards season is over. Might be back later in the week after the lottery. Maybe depending on those results, maybe I'll record one. If they get into the top four, I'll definitely record an emergency podcast that night. Uh, before we start off, I do just want to acknowledge Monumental Sports, which owns the Wizards, owns the Capitals, owns the Mystics, owns the Go-Go, uh, had a ton of furloughs today. So they furloughed, the Washington Post reported, 232 of their approximately 600 employees, and that's people from all over. And it's just rough. We just live in a in a rough world and, and I think those furloughs are gonna be are gonna be long lasting and it's it's people with the wizards, it's people with the capitals, it's people who work across sports just in the you know on the business side of monumental. Um it's it's uh it's a rough time right now, man. I mean this is not even necessarily news, you know? Uh it just seems like anything that involves having people come to your business and and whether it's a restaurant or you know a retail shop or a live event company you know they're being hit very hard around the country sort of around the world but not to the degree that they are in this country um, I, I'm actually kind of surprised they were able to wait this long without doing it you know it's been six months since we've had live events it's probably gonna be a yeah, while I mean look when there are no live events and there are no tickets to sell, it's it's really hard to be a ticket sales rep right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's just it's it's a rough world and, and you know, as a reporter, they say you're supposed to be non biased toward everybody you cover. But uh definitely sending my best to everybody at Monumental because that yeah. that just sucks. I'll never be non biased toward human beings. I just I don't operate like that. I don't think you could operate like that. Um, hopefully, most people won't operate like that because you know that that is probably part of the reason why we've gotten into the mess that we're in is that maybe there's been a little bit of a de-emphasis on the human part of human being. And I just you know I hope everyone that that was furloughed is okay, and um, you know I hope we can all bounce back from this. Shorter, uh, in a shorter amount of time than uh, than we've been dealing with it. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Let's let's talk about something more chipper. We're sending out our best to the people at Monumental. 
Uh, I know some of them check in on this podcast to make sure I'm not slamming them too hard. So if you're listening, we're sending you our best. Uh, let's let's talk about something more chipper. All yeah. right. Let's let's <laughs> more <laughs> chipper. Let's talk about the Wizards not being in the playoffs and 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 talk about the lottery. So it's lottery time, people. We got this going. We got this is the moment, you know, all year. All year, I've heard from everybody with the Wizards. This year is about next year. Mm-hmm. It's about next year. Well, guess what? Next next year is happening, my friend. It's uh, well, well. I shouldn't get my chickens before they hatched. Next year may not happen, but let's assume next year is happening and the world doesn't end. So the Wizards, independent of the fact that their winning percentage, because they went one and seven in the bubble, is now worse than Charlotte's. They still have, they still have. Worse lottery odds than Charlotte because the standings were frozen in March to make the lottery odds. So the Wizards have the ninth best odds at the first pick, even though they have the eighth worst record. That means they have a four and a half percent chance at the number one overall pick, and they have a 20.3 percent chance to move into the top four. Last year, so so if you if you believe in the basketball gods, I, I understand, by the way. This is not if like Seth part now is listening to this. I understand this is not how math works. But if you believe in basketball gods, the Wizards went into the draft last year with the six best lottery odds. They had like a one percent chance at picking ninth or tenth, and they picked ninth. Oof. So if you believe in the basketball gods, and by the way, it didn't really matter they picked ninth because they had Rui fourth on their big board and they would have taken him at six anyway. But if you believe in the basketball gods, that means the Wizards are getting into the top four this year. So I want to I want to just talk lottery for a little bit because you, know, you can always say this. You can always say this about about teams. Yeah, if this team lucks out in the lottery and they get the first pick or the second pick or the third pick when they're not supposed to get it, that just changes the trajectory of the team. But I look at the teams in the lottery this year. And I think it's kind of more true for the Wizards than it is for other teams. And I think that's because of the position the Wizards are in, where where they say they believe that they can be competitive for next year. They're they're basically bringing the band back together after a season where they had a 347 winning percentage. Mm. And assuming that the addition of John Wall is just going to put them over the top. And having Bradley Beal for the whole year... And progression from Troy Brown, from Thomas Bryant, from Rui Hachimura, adding somebody with the mid-level exception. We'll see, by the way, how many teams use the mid-level exception this year. Uh-huh. I have no information yeah. on whether the Wizards use the mid-level exception or not. But you look at Houston, for example, a team that's notoriously trying to save money all the time, right? Mm-hmm. They don't use it. Monumental just furloughed a bunch of people. Like, let's see if the Wizards go out and, and spend $9 million on a player because of that. You know, that's that's a good way to save money. Just don't use your mid-level exception. Again, I have absolutely no information that they're not planning on doing that. It's just a good way to save money and something that we should be cognizant of when we look at their free agency. Um, this is a great way for a team that wants to be competitive early or a team that wants to be competitive next year and doesn't have a ton of resources other than that mid-level exception and the biannual exception they have in free agency, just hope you get really lucky in the lottery. I think if they get top four and they end up with a really good player, that that changes a lot about their outlook. I mean, I agree, but are there any really good players? 
There's always a really good player. Sure. Um, you it, know, but for I, this, team, I, right? I agree. Your chances, your chance. This is not the 2018 right. draft. And for this team, but, they, but even if you go to like 2013, it's like they're still really good. You could still end up with a Victor Oladipo. You could. You yeah, know? you could. Um, I don't know if there's an Oladipo uh, in that range for them, but you know, they just need talent. That that is the biggest glaring, obvious thing about this team is they just don't have a ton of talent. They actually have some talented guys. They just don't have an abundance of talent. When you look at what this team might be next year, if they bring back Bertans, because that's an if, as you just mentioned, a lot of folks aren't going to be spending money, and they might be one of them. Bertans is likely to get paid, and there are teams like the Knicks that the money just doesn't matter. But if they bring back Bertans, they've got a glaring hole on the wing, which is extremely hard to fill. Wing wing play is the most, you know, like if you wanted to single out something that's extremely valuable that isn't individual shot creation, it's 3 and D wing. The the news is out. <laughs> that's valuable in the NBA in 2020. Still may have a decision to make on a big, although I think Thomas Bryant might might be okay as the starter. I mean, if the bubble is any, any indication, there's a lot more there than what we saw in the regular season. And maybe with John Wall coming back and being healthy, we even see an uptick from, from Thomas Bryant. So, you know, it's not a glaring, obvious need for, for a starting big, but it wouldn't hurt if they could upgrade there. So, you know, I think they've got some, some serious issues, some of which I don't think can be solved no matter who they draft. They had a number one pick. That per, how many number one picks are ready to come in and contribute for a team that expects to be you know the fifth seed? Very few. Yeah. Very few. So very few. I mean, rookies are almost never net positives. Right. Even ones who end up becoming incredibly mm-hmm. good players. I mean, how many can you say this year were great? But you know what? It could also do a really good rookie could it could infuse some fire and the the Beal wall thing it's true like it, one of their goals next year isn't just to compete it's to compete enough to keep the band going another year right to where they don't feel like okay in february we have to trade Beal, or next summer we have to trade Beal, or whenever the heck the offseason is the fall whenever it ends up being you know if they have an awesome rookie and they end up winning 46 games all of a sudden, Beal's looking at something as like, okay, maybe this isn't a 46-win team forever now. Because now we got an awesome rookie. I, I think the process, I think more important than their win total next year for being competitive in future years, and I'm not talking about winning a title. I'm just talking about being a consistent playoff team. I think more, more, more central to them being that consistent playoff team is how they win games next year, not how many games they win, if that makes sense. If they win 45 and it's because Beal got even better and he drags them there, then maybe he has a different opinion than if they win 45 and it's because Wall looks awesome and they drafted a rookie who looks like he's going to be a hell of a player and Rui makes strides and Bryant makes strides and maybe they end up signing somebody who ends up being a great contributor and Ish Smith does his Ish Smith things and Troy Brown makes strides from what he did in the bubble and 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 he's and guys are sitting there thinking, 
oh, this is this is a real sustainable thing and I'm not exhausted and I'm having fun. And that to me is a different situation, even if the win totals end up exactly the same. That to me is a different situation and can lead to different results in February or next year than than potentially feeling like Beal is exhausting himself, you know? Because mm-hmm. that's just how human beings think. My my issue is, like, we know that they're going to score, right? Like, we, we know that Beal, Wall, Bertans, Bryant, Rui off the bench, Troy Brown. Like, we know that this team has some offense. But are they going to be able to defend enough to win the extra games that they need to feel like they had a successful season? I, I think this is a playoff team in the East. As is, and maybe you, you disagree with me, but I think adding Wall back is that big of a deal for them because the East is so bad. They, they mean they were almost in it without him. I mean, almost in it. You know what I mean. I mean, in the almost. East, it doesn't take much to be almost in it. Thirty wins, and you're almost in. But I think we, you know, adding adding Beal is a big deal for them. Because it, it gives them a, a you know a second option offensively, it gives them a guy that that you know, and this is all assuming health and and that the things that we hear are true. But I'm not concerned about the offense at all. But the defense, uh, you know, that's the that's the big issue. Can they raise that defensive floor to a you know league average level? And I just don't know it like. I don't know that it's possible for them to get the personnel. Yeah. Well, they're so hard to judge. It's so hard to judge. They are hard to judge. And the defense is the defense is the biggest question on anything. But uh, I'm going to talk about that a lot moving forward. And I am betting that I am going to text you at three in the morning at some point and be like, hey, you want to come on the podcast tomorrow? And we're going to have this an expanded version of this conversation at some point in the next. Didn't this just happen? Like what three days ago, four days ago, this he is called exactly me at two thirty in the morning. <laughs> Accurate, yeah. Just um, so people know that it's real, yeah. Two thirty in the morning. Oh yeah, yeah. That wasn't <laughs> yeah, a sarcastic yeah. comment. That was completely real. Uh, you want to do some bubble grading? Let's do it. Let's do. It. I actually have now done this for uh, the Nuggets over on Rainbow Skyline, our Nuggets podcast, and on Seventy Seven Minutes in Heaven, our Dallas Mavericks podcast. Uh, I was giving bubble grades, and it, it it is a surprisingly useful process because you realize where your where your knowledge gaps are. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do it. All right. So the we got seven guys to go over. Not the twenty three not- that were on the roster this season. <laughs> we're gonna do seven who played in the bubble. Obviously, we are not including Garrison Matthews, even though he's a young guy because he didn't play in the bubble. I, I I picked out seven guys. One one guy I I merged into two, or two guys I merged into one guy, uh, so that we don't go twelve hours on this. All right, but we're starting off with Thomas Bryant. You want to give your grade? Um, it's hard to give anyone a passing grade when your team goes one in seven, and looks as as rough as they did. But I think Thomas Bryant, I'll give him a solid B. I thought he showed a lot. Especially defensively. I, I thought he showed that there's more to him than just a guy who can space the floor effectively and, you know, execute a durable handoff. I thought he thought he was pretty good. 
You know, you know what was the big thing with him defensively? It, it was all footwork. Right. The thing with him is his defensive footwork might be the number one struggle point for mm-hmm. him. If you go back and you just like go on synergy and you queue up his pick and roll defense and it's just clip of Thomas Bryant defending a pick and roll, clip of Thomas Bryant defending a pick and roll, he has heavy feet. And what happens is he ends up backpedaling. Mm-hmm. There are two two things that he does that are kind of my pet, pee- pet peeves. One thing, he ends up backpedaling, and, and Zach Lowe pointed this out when he wrote about him earlier this week in 10 Things, and he wrote nice things about him, about how he thought he defended much better, which I agree with. He almost looks like he's going to fall over. His balance is just really off. And and you just, the best defenders don't backpedal, right. let alone rely on backpedaling. The other thing that he does is he does kind of a shuffle backpedal, mm-hmm. and he knows he's supposed to drop, so he drops back. And he does this thing where he gets caught in no man's land trying to defend a roller, defending a pick and roll, and then also trying to defend a ball handler because Wizards guys guarding the ball handler almost never contain the ball and and often just run into the screen and let the guy get into the lane. Mm -hmm. And so Bryant will almost look like you ever pushed a a north side of a magnet against the north side of a magnet? Mm -hmm. So it almost looks like the roller and the ball handler and Bryant are all north sides of magnets. And Bryant (laughs) is trying not to get that close to either because he doesn't want to come off the other guy too much. And he ends up just not even coming close to guarding either of them. And you get the and they the guys get an option. It's not even like, okay, my layup is going to be contested or I can dump it off and the big man's going to have a dunk or, hey, the pass is taken away, but I've got a wide open layup. It's, well, I can take the wide open layup or he can take the wide open dunk. And I thought he was much better at yeah. that during the bubble. Well, he, he was using his uh, length too, and, and which, again, this goes back to his footwork. He, he wasn't completely out of position or off balance. And so, you know... <laughs> His long arms actually can cause a problem when he's stable. Surprisingly. Yeah. Well, by the way, I'm giving I'm giving I've I've created my own ranking system. So I'm giving Thomas Bryant four cartoon masks out of five. Cartoon masks? Oh, Thomas Bryant wears wears cartoon or anime masks during the press conferences. And it's completely it's unaware great. of this. So let's move on. Next guy. I mean, I think we both agreed Thomas Bryant was was better and and had or you know what? Before we move on, let's let's discuss one more thing. With what you saw from Thomas Bryant in the bubble, we talked about how we think he was better defensively. And the thing with Thomas Bryant is defensively, is he going to be able to hold his own enough to maintain large minutes? I think the three point shooting is real. Me too. I think I think he is I think he can shoot a legitimate number of those and and be high 30s. And I don't see why he couldn't shoot 40 with all of these centers who play drop coverages and he gets mm-hmm. wide open looks throughout the course of a regular season. Like, I don't see why he couldn't shoot 40 on three attempts a game, four attempts a game. That's easily within the realm of possibility if he takes the right shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got good touch and his form looks good and he hits a lot of them. So I don't see why he couldn't do that. If you're the Wizards, 
Do you think he's a 28 to 32 minute a game guy now because of the way that he showed the defensive progression he showed in Orlando? Or does it change at all the way that you thought about him coming into the bubble? Well, I think that prioritizing the wing is important for them. Um, If the defense is real at his age, certainly I would want to run him out there. You know, like they have him locked up. He's on a good contract. He's productive offensively, and if he can just hold his own defensively instead of being bad, that's huge. And, and maybe it allocates a, a little bit more of their of their cap space to finding a wing. Well, they don't have cap space, but maybe they could spend you know the mid level and and get a wing instead of you know trying to pick up an Aaron Baines or, or someone like that. You know, maybe Thomas Bryant is their center. I would feel okay with that after watching him in the bubble. It is interesting. Makes it very difficult to grade this bubble stuff. Speaking of which, now let's talk let's talk Rui Hachimura. The most the most famous of the Wizards young guys. For sure. So so Rui in the bubble, I I thought he I thought he struggled. I, I thought he struggled against the defenses that tried to load up against him when mm-hmm. we saw a defense like Brooklyn send multiple defenders at him and try to take away the things he's most comfortable at. Uh, I thought he had troubles with that for sure. Where are you at with him? How do you grade that performance from him? I feel so mean when when people ask me about rookies who are bad because they're all bad. To a certain degree, I just think Rui was especially bad in the bubble. Like he was worse than he was in the regular season, which I'm not completely shocked by, and don't necessarily think it's an indictment of the draft pick or his you know future being in doubt or any of these things. He was just bad in eight games. I think that's important to remember. But the lack of defensive physicality has continued to bother me about Rui, especially when one of the great selling points about him was that he had an NBA-ready body. Well, it doesn't really matter if you have an NBA-ready body if you don't use it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think with him, the thing that I would have been, I would have been a little nervous about after seeing him in the bubble is is just that there wasn't really... You look at the other guys and you saw like we talked about Thomas Bryant's defense. There was some there was some progression with Thomas Bryant. His shot selection changed. There was some progression with Thomas Bryant that you saw and you were like, "Okay, that's different." Whether you want to talk better, worse, whatever, he made modifications. I'm not sure what Rui's modifications were. And he wasn't the only young guy on the Wizards who didn't make modifications, but I'm just not sure what Rui's modifications were. And and to be honest, I, I don't I've heard a lot that Rui was worse in the bubble. I think that's the popular opinion, that Rui mm-hmm. was worse in the bubble. I don't think he was worse in the bubble. More attention. I, I think he was about the same. And I think defenses gave him more attention because Bradley Beal wasn't there and Davis Bartons wasn't there. And I think, I think he was about the same as he was last year. But the thing is, the expectations were high because everyone was talking, well, Rui's going to be their leading scorer now. Rui's going to be the guy who's going to come out and he's going to lead the offense. And he 
will hopefully have progressed in some of these areas. And and to me, it was more that I think people were disappointed that he stagnated. I don't think he took a step back. I really don't. I, I, I think he shot well from mid-range. He looked confident on the shots that he's confident on and the shots that we already knew he was confident on. His process didn't really adjust. And to me, that's not a step back. It's just not a step forward. And I've, I've been big on pushing with Rui that progression is not always linear. But but the thing is that you would have liked to have seen, even if it was a step forward a couple games and then a step back, and, and he took a bunch of threes against the Bucks when the Bucks were really, really pushing him in it. But that's one game. Like, that's one game where he took a bunch of threes. It was the last one, so maybe something clicked for, or the second to last one. So maybe something clicked in in his last game, which was the Wizards' second to last game. But, 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 I, I don't think stagnation needs to be posed as anything other than stagnation. Like, sure. unless you disagree with me that it was stagnation. I mean, no, I, I think that he's not any worse than he was. But again, it's it's a continue. It was a continuation of the same issues that I felt like he had. And it, it was a glaring contrast to what Thomas Bryant did. Right. That's that's why it looked worse. Mm-hmm. Because it was also a glaring contrast to what Troy Brown did. Troy Brown, right. He looked was, like, yeah. you know, if you consider those three guys like the young core of this team, which I think is a, it's fair, he looked the worst because he looked the same. Right, that's true. Because Jerome Robinson made shots, and and Isak Bonga did some stuff, and yeah, you're right. They kind of progressed in the way that you would hope they would progress in a lot of other ways, and 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 Rui didn't. What you got a Rui grade? I mean, I'll call it a D. Again, actually, you know what? I'll call it a C because it's a little unfair. If you just consider this a continuation of the season, which it technically is. We shouldn't have expected him to grow much in these eight games or before these eight games. They've, they've mostly not been doing stuff. So I think that any expectation, I think it's it's worthwhile to give people credit for being better, but maybe not worthwhile to hammer them for not being better or being slightly worse. Or am I being too fair here? No, I think it's fine. I, I I look. It would have been great if if Rui showed up and and was passing kind of more seamlessly, or if he showed up and was rotating better. He was a big defensive problem for them, which is something we've kind of touched on. But but look, the Wizards' defense was still bad in the bubble, and and he was part of that for sure. I mean, we talk about Thomas Bryant's defense getting better, and their defense still basically being the same, even though they lost Bradley Beal, who was a defensive problem for them this year, and Davis Bertans, who was a defensive problem for them this year, and obviously Isaiah Thomas wasn't with them in the bubble, and they were still giving up a lot of points in the bubble. To I mean, they were still missing rotations. They still weren't on point, and I'm not saying Rui's the only guy. There were lots of guys. I thought Troy Brown actually did not play well defensively in the bubble at all. I thought he got driven by a lot. I thought he, he failed to help in certain moments, and uh, I didn't think that was encouraging um i thought bonga kind of had zone out moments even though he had some very good defensive moments as well um you know the smaller point guards just kind of get pulverized because they're smaller uh, i i thought you know wagner struggled with the over fouling still like this is not just a really thing this is a team thing without question but um it would have been nice to see him come back have a little more 
defensive uptick or maybe more confidently shooting the three. He doesn't seem interested in shooting the three, which which I, I'm not I'm not ready to say that that's like some huge thing yet because he is a rookie and rookies sometimes don't get the big picture. That doesn't make them anything other than rookies to me. That right. doesn't make them. That doesn't. I, I I don't believe in uh, looking at how a guy views the game at twenty two and saying, well, I guess that's just how he views the game forever. You know. Yeah. So. So that to me is not so much the problem, but it would have been nice to see just kind of an uptick in one of those and it wasn't there. We'll see if it happens the next time the Wizards play a game. Um, and maybe maybe it'll happen the next time the Wizards play a game. We'll be like, okay, well, the progression just happened because something that somebody who who's known Rui for a long time pointed out to me is that and reminded me of is that people were saying similar stuff about Rui after his first year at Gonzaga. And then he came back his second year and he got a lot better. And then he came back his third year, and he was one of the best players in the country. And there's that improvement arc, and that's something the Wizards have been banking on. Now, I, I He started playing basketball late. The Wizards are banking on a big improvement trajectory. They justify drafting him in the lottery because they are expecting a big trajectory of improvement. And I do think when a team is expecting a big trajectory of improvement, at some point, we have to talk about when the improvement's going to come, right? Like that's sure. that was the justification. So I'm not saying we have to be at that point, but at some point we're going to get to the point because if he's going to improve a lot, at some point he has to improve a little. So we'll 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 see on that. Uh, you know what's amazing? I, I said I was going to do these creative things, and then I just put next to Rui. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> I forgot to put what my scale was for Rui and I did this three days ago and I completely forgot what it was and all I have is Rui two and a half so <laughs> Rui gets a two and a half I'm not even going to say what it's out of I think it's out of five I love that I'm doing letter grades you're doing numbers and masks and <laughs> yeah <laughs> why the hell not man Rui, Rui gets two tuna rolls there you go Jerome Robinson I think Jerome Robinson had a good bubble, and and thus the Wizards had a good bubble. They love him. The Wizards do love him. Yeah. Jerome Robinson, he did have a good bubble. I agree with you. He made shots. Jerome Robinson, to me, is, is the personification of one of the most fascinating basketball concepts to me as in scouting. Which is, how do you know over small sample size if shot making is real? Where, where Jerome Robinson has just been a guy for his entire NBA career for almost two years, where it's the other stuff looks kind of okay. He's pretty okay defensively. He definitely has his moments. I could see him... One day becoming a above average. I could see him being an above average defender. I don't see why not. I I could see him being like an okay, you know, wing handling the ball off the bench. He runs pick and rolls. He looks smooth. He needs to become a better decision maker in those moments, but he's had very few NBA reps. The thing that makes Jerome Robinson unable to contribute the NBA level is that he was shooting 35% from the field, 30% from three. And if you shoot that, poorly 
and you don't do anything else at an elite level, you are just not going to sustain enough offensively to be able to stay on the floor. You have to shoot better than that, and you have to score better than that if you're going to play and you're not going to be elite at another particular and important aspect of the game. And Jerome Robinson made his shots in the bubble. Now it's eight games. Did Jerome Robinson get really hot? Or did Jerome Robinson all of a sudden find his shot? And and I just, mm, I don't know. I don't I also, know the answer. I mean, look, so I'm, I looked at his game log. It, it just seems like a, he's getting some consistency. You know, his minutes were all over the place this season. He wasn't particularly good for the Wizards after after he came over from the trade. He did play a fair amount. But it just seems like a, having a consistent role, which he did have in the in the last seven games of, of the Wizards' season here, just seemed like he, he could get comfortable. And Maybe. he's not playing next to, to Bradley Beal. Maybe. Look, he's a rhythm player. Yeah. He and, could be a... Good stats, bad team guy, because the team was objectively worse in Orlando. Maybe he's just a guy. There's no pressure. Hit shots, no big deal. I think he shot I mean, like 37% or so. That's something Orlando. I've thought about. Yeah, from three. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's something I've thought about because when you talk to anyone with the Wizards and you talk to anyone with the Clippers, the first thing they bring up with Jerome Robinson is confidence. That is the first mm-hmm. concept they bring up when you talk about him. And, and something I've wondered, again – this is not like a, this is not a loaded question when I ask it. I'm not implying anything. I genuinely do not know the answer, and I'm fascinated by the concept of this because it's the first time in my entire career, in my entire life of watching basketball, that I can ask this question, and I have no idea what the answer is because I've never seen it before. Jerome Robinson, his whole pro career for two years, over two teams, everybody has talked about confidence as the number one thing. You can ask anything about Jerome Robinson, and everybody with both of those teams brings up confidence, right? So is it a coincidence that he starts making shots once 20,000 people are not watching him every night? I, I don't know. think so. Maybe. I don't think so. I mean, but it, could it also be that he just needed that to gain some confidence? And now when he comes back, he's like, oh, I just did this. I played really well. Against NBA players and average like 16 or 17 points a game. Now these fans don't phase me. I've done this. I'm good. And then he gets it rolling and it doesn't even matter and we never even know what the answer was. Like there are a million possibilities here. Uh, I have no idea what the answer is. I, I'm I'm just trying to figure out what is happening and I'm going to ask questions about it. I don't think anyone can know the answer, to be honest. But I, I think these questions are... These bubble questions are are interesting, especially for someone like Robinson, when people constantly bring up those you know mental traits about him. Yeah, I think you might be on something there, but I don't know. What do you got? I'm 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 I'm, I'm gonna uh, give him I'm gonna give him a B because I think that you have to be able to perform when you're given the opportunity, and whatever the reason, he was able to perform. He was objectively better than he was. In the regular season, I'm going to give him a B. Pretty good. He was he was unquestionably B plus B plus B plus. Oh wow! Generous. Great inflation. <laughs> Feeling generous. He was unquestionably better. That is some great inflation. I, I once again, I've got Jerome Robinson as a three right now. So I don't remember my Jerome Robinson scale. So I, I, all right. So I gave him like a four point. Uh, I gave him a what 
three point seven. I mean, if if we're going that? out of like GPA scale, you give them a, a three point three out of four, and I'm 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 at a I'm at a three out of five, so that's what like a. I don't think you can take by percentages. I think a five point yeah. like star system is different than yeah than like a GPA. System. So then I'd give him I'd give him. Let's go full Ed McMahon, three and three quarter stars. <laughs> there you go. Let's talk Troy Brown. Yeah, uh, well, Troy Brown. that's a five star performance. You think that's a five star performance? Again, it's it's, you, you have to grade all these on their curve, right? Like, I think I know, the difference but it's between. It's not a five star performance for me. He was? No, he's not. He, he oh. don't get me wrong, much improved. Yeah. Um, if I'm, oh, well, if I'm, I'm judging them against themselves, not so much against. The greater NBA. Of course. That's the only yeah. way to do it. But 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 to me it's a five star performance if he if he doesn't shoot horribly off the dribble. But I, I think just shooting off the dribble is important for him. Period. That's fair. That's fair. Let's uh let's talk about it. Okay, so what did he do better? He commanded an offense. He rebounding outstandingly for a guard which we know that's nothing new he pushed really well on the break he clearly showed significantly more patience and awareness running an offense in just about any kind of set pick and rolls late in the shot clock being able to facilitate being able to create three pointers everything along those lines he shot really poorly though now he had that 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 he had like a little thumb injury during the exhibition games and he missed one game for it. I have no idea if that affected his shot at all. I guess it's it's plausible. I mm-hmm. don't know if the usage and all the other things he was doing affected his shot. I don't know if he was just cold. But the shot is a problem for him. And it doesn't look great. His three-point shot doesn't look great. He kind of looks like he's hoisting. It looks difficult for him. And 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 he's... He's, by the way, pretty okay as a catch-and-shoot guy. I know coming into the bubble, he was 39% on catch-and-shoot threes. But but being able to shoot off the dribble would be an important thing for him. Mm-hmm. thought he fell in love with the floater a little bit too much. A little too knows. much, yep. His floater's gotten pretty good, but he, he falls in love with it too much. Like, I want to see him get fully to the basket. He was like, he was shooting his float. Yeah, it would be great to see him get to the basket. He's gotten better finishing around the rim. He should try to get to the basket. It'll get him, get him to the line more. And he he shoots his floater from too far out. He 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 took a couple from like fourteen feet, which is like no, you can mm-hmm. pull up or you can keep going, but don't don't hastily throw that up at fourteen. Yeah, floater aside, right? If I'm judging on process, which I tend to do, versus you know, the, yeah, his shot wasn't like he didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Actually, he shot the the ball well in no way whatsoever except for free throws. But the process is good, right? Running the pick and roll now. Here's the here's the one issue. Next year, you get John Wall back. You got Bradley Beal out there. Is there a role for Troy Brown that isn't coming off the bench because of his catch and shoot inadequacies? I think that's a problem. It's plausible he starts at small forward next year. It's plausible. But that's not, not if my he guess. won't make shots though. No, no, it, it's not my guess. My guess is he's the sixth man. He's the first guy off the bench. He he 
Whether he's technically a point guard or not, he's the guy who runs the bench unit. He's responsible for the offense. And when I say technically a point guard or not, I still think there's a pretty good chance Ish Smith is there next year. Ish would guard the point guards. Troy is technically playing the wing, but by all intents and purposes, he's still running the offense. He's commanding the offense. He's handling the ball. He's dribbling the most, all those sorts of things. I think that's him, and I think he'll get time with the starters because I think he'll be good enough to where he's playing 25 minutes a game. And But but those 16 minutes, 18 minutes, and John and Brad are off the floor. Also, keep in mind, pretty realistic situation next, pretty realistically next year, John's not playing back-to-backs. John's right, going to have his right. minutes limited. Like They're going to need Troy Brown facilitating in those moments when, when Beal and Wall are off the floor. And, and even if they want to stagger Beal and Wall, which we're not at that point of conversation yet, like Wall's not going to play enough to where they're going to they're gonna have a significant amount of minutes where they need Troy Brown to do stuff. And I think that's the role he's going to play. And I think that's the best role for him for now. It's not too much pressure. It's not asking him to do things he can't do. It puts him in a position to do things he can do. And I think he can be successful. Can Troy Brown give him 12 a game off the bench next year? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. That's where that's where I like, see it. He can give him twelve and and six or seven rebounds, and uh, and you know four assists or something. Mm-hmm. Sure, I don't see why not. Uh, all right, Mo Wagner. I'm giving. But, oh, we didn't give you gave Troy. I'm giving Troy. I'm changing. I'm giving Troy a B plus. Oh, see, I convinced system. you. Yeah. No. No. I. I just. Five stars is that's an A. I wasn't going to give him an A, but I okay. think Troy was very good and he was much better. No question, he was he was the most encouraging wizard to me. Like I looked at him and I was like, that guy. Okay, we we know Troy Brown is going to be a useful, helpful rotation right. player for a long time now. We know it. It's funny. It's funny that you go from the hopeful to the least hopeful. Yeah. Because well, so Mo was bad. Not just Mo, bad, Mo gets, but just... Mo gets half a charge out of five. If if you told me Mo wasn't in Orlando, I I could believe that. He definitely looks like he did no conditioning at all during the hiatus. I mean, he, physically he, looks like he put on weight. Less he, definition. He's short on every three. Yeah. Every three he puts up, he's short. And he just looks like he's lost his offensive flow. He doesn't have the physical gifts to not be in tip-top shape at all times. And, and he's lost his offensive flow. I mean, he was aggressive as hell. As hell in the beginning part of the year when he was playing really well. When he is having those games where he went for 30-15 and 15 against, against Minnesota. It's like the first guy to come off the bench in the NBA for 30 and 15 since I forget who. Someone, well, we were saying, ridiculous. should he be in the six man of the year conversation? Yeah. And then that went away. And yeah, I mean, look, I'm not out on Mo Wagner because he was so good at the beginning of the year. And and I think there's promise there. But he is somebody like, you know, how I said Rui showed up. I don't think Rui looked worse. And I know. You know, I checked the Twitter mentions. There are people who say that I'm too nice to Rui because all he does is shoot mid-range shots. And there are people who say that I'm too critical of Rui because I don't praise him for for sure being a star. And uh, 
I don't think Rui showed up and got worse. I also don't think Rui showed up and got better. I think Wagner was worse than he's been all year in the bubble games. And I think that's unquestionable. Yeah, objectively worse. Yeah. For sure. No question. Like, he just defensively, just all the charges, man. I've been saying this all year. I'm just... People love the charges. People love the fundamental charges. And people love them. But, like, man, if if you are going to have a blocking fail, if you're going to have five blocking fouls or four blocking fouls for every charge that you take, the charge is not worth it. You're getting one takeaway, and you're giving, in a best-case scenario, you're giving eight free throws. If you're giving fewer than eight free throws, it's because you're giving up and ones, which is even worse than eight free throws. So it's just... The math does not work out. You were giving up more than you were getting for your team. And and he's got to figure out a way to contest more shots. And and he will contest shots when a big man goes up against him. It's just when a penetrator comes into the lane, he tries to take those charges and it ends up blocks more often than not, or he ends up just clearing the way for an open layup and it doesn't work. And he's got to, he's got to figure out the balance there. I'm not saying never try to take charges. Some of the best defenders in the league are unbelievable I hate charge charges. takers. I, I know hate you charges. do. I know you do. Smart basketball Twitter hates charges. I don't hate charges. I just hate charges when they're they're a crutch and they're not relied on in the way they should be. Kyle right. Lowry. Kyle Lowry is tremendous. Kyle Char- Lowry charges the in place of is tremendous. Charges in place of adequate defense drive me insane. Right, and that's what sure. Mo tries to do. Right, for sure. Do I know? I know you got to run in a second. Do you have time for Isak Bonga really quick? Or you? Gotta- oh yeah, I always have time for. Isak Bonga. <laughs> where we, Isak where Bonga we might be the starting three, right? That's plausible. If Isak Bonga comes back, I think Isak Bonga could be a really good defender. If mm-hmm. if Bonga comes back, if he comes and back, and he's defending, no, I mean he'll be back. I think, but if if mm-hmm. he's if he's gained weight and mm-hmm. maintained quickness and is defending wings, his footwork guarding on the perimeter is way better. That's the thing that I would be more excited about. I've got him at two and a half stars out of five. I uh I I think I think Bonga if he defends at the level that they hope and the level he showed he possibly can there's there's something there like he was he was better he was not as good as he was during the exhibitions but he was better than he was before. He had the occasional aggressive finish at the rim, which was nice to see. He finished through contact a couple of times and I thought fundamentally defensively Guarding on the ball, he was improved for sure. Yeah, I tend to agree with all that. I I, I think, and for this team that is desperately going to need a guy who can potentially guard the number one option on other teams, it was very important that he looked solid defensively. For sure. And uh, Schofield, Schofield and Posichniks, by the way, I, I combined into one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what their what their futures are. Patrick Neese has a has a non guarantee for next year, and Schofield is guaranteed uh, for next season. I I don't know what their futures are, but I would say that it, it I I it was not encouraging for Schofield that he was losing minutes to Jared Utoff, who was a replacement player who who does not have a future with the Wizards that he was losing minutes to Utah during that, that final game when it was one more opportunity for them to get development minutes for, for their young guys. So I would say that wasn't the most encouraging thing. I didn't think Schofield was, was particularly encouraging there, but we'll see. 
We'll see. Uh, anything to plug before we wrap up? No. Check out the Athletic NBA show, The Daily Ding. Go read my Miami Heat Indiana Pacers series preview. Yes. Because I'm doing that now. Do all of that. Read Dave's stuff. I'm doing everything. Great. Go to theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark if you want to subscribe and get 40% off on an annual subscription. That brings your subscription down to $36 for the full year. Again, that's theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. If you happen to randomly be listening to this episode and you want to subscribe to Wizards After Dark, you can do so wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love the show, it's just your favorite podcast of all time and you want to show some love, you can go to iTunes. You can give us five stars. You can leave a super nice review if you are feeling really generous. Uh, if the Wizards move up in the lottery, like I said, I'm going to do an emergency episode after the lottery for sure. If they don't move up in the lottery, they pick ninth or something. Maybe I'll still, maybe I'll still do one. We'll see. You're gonna uh, do one. Yeah, I probably will. I'm too married to my job. Um, otherwise, I will be back with another episode next week and then i'm going to take some vacation time so i'll be back with one more episode next week the following week i'll actually be off and then it'll be one or two episodes a week after that following but more information on that for next week dave thanks for coming on I'll talk i to have to soon. right that's it's oh. in the contract oh that's true that's true you were you were you were professionally obligated to do it all right that's guys, right back next week talk to you soon